This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me always. And before we dive into this podcast, real quick, I just wanted to make you guys aware, if you're not... Uh, DuckTerritory.com is currently running a promotion that ends Monday night at 9 p.m. Uh, October 21st. But so if, if you listen to this podcast beforehand and you're not a subscriber, I highly encourage you taking an opportunity and just checking us out. Uh, three months for the price of one. That, that's a promo that's been extended because Oregon beat Washington this weekend. Uh, it goes away tonight, Monday, October 21st at 9 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, the, get three months for the price of one that goes away after tonight. So if you're on the fence, do it today before you lose that opportunity to claim such a, a pretty unique deal, uh, for duckterritory.com VIP membership possibilities. And quite honestly, you'll get the rest of the college football season. You'll, you will follow the ducks as they're now basically, uh, two game, two wins away from Winning the Pac-12 North, playing for the Rose Bowl, you get the lead up all the way up into that. You get Oregon football recruiting coverage, and just in about two weeks, Oregon basketball and Oregon women's basketball, they will be starting out. And both those teams are ranked. Both those teams are preseason favorites to win the Pac-12. So uh, you you will get yourself a ton of value by taking care of that advantage today. Remember. October 21st, 9 p.m. Pacific time, that promotion of three months for the price of one goes away. So uh, jump in on that as quickly as you can. Uh, now that that gotten that out of the way, Eric, uh, we got a good show. Uh, a lot to take away from Morgan's 35-31 victory up in Seattle. We were both there. Uh, and, again, not to go back to the promo, but su- by subscribing, you help support Eric and I going up there, talking, you know, seeing that game. And then coming here and, and having some back channel stories and, and some analysis and uh, being able to bring you more coverage of Oregon football, um, Eric, a lot to take away from that game. I think it, it, from the season, from down the road, and uh, in, in, in between. Absolutely, and I, and I think let's start with just the, the final quarter of football and and how well this Oregon team played there because I think I know I speak for myself. I I sort of was uncertain about what we would. What the second half would hold, you know, it was really the first time, you know, in a long time Oregon had been challenged like that, you know, especially defensively. And I, I think you're, you're, I think you come away feeling really excited and happy with the way they answered the call. Uh, they could have, you know, folded and, and, and lost that game. And, and, you know, you look up and, and suddenly Washington's legitimately in the, in the chase for the Pac-12 title. Instead, they kind of buckled up and I think offensively really figured some things out. Justin Herbert deserves a ton of credit for how he led that offense down the stretch. And now you look up at the standings, and we'll get to that more later on in the show, but Oregon is, is in, I mean, impeccable positioning right now to win the Pac-12 North. And, and I think that's thanks in large part to the offense. You know, the defense had an off day and, and, and didn't do the offense a ton of favors early on. And we should, right. we'll get to it later, but the defense did buckle up at the end of the game and, and get some critical stops in the fourth quarter. But 
that, that Oregon doesn't win this game if the offense doesn't score, you know, those three touchdowns in the second half. And those were three extended, long touchdown drives. Those were not off of turnovers or short fields. Each of those touchdown drives went 70 or more yards. And it was, uh, I, I think, you, you wondered at times this season, you know, just how effective this Oregon offense could be or, or if this Oregon offense could score 35 points, you know, against a defense like Washington. And they answered those bells and those calls, I think, really, really well. And I think you have to come out of this game going like, man, Justin Herbert proved some things. I think the running game, which I know we're going to talk about quite a bit, showed some things. I think the receivers, I don't, I can't remember a single drop pass the whole game. And Herbert, you know, he didn't have one favorite guy. I think Johnny Johnson and, and Jalen Red continued to be kind of the two top targets. Those guys had a combined 10 out of the 24 receptions. But he mixed it up to a bunch of different guys. You saw Micah Pittman, Spencer Webb make big plays. Um, you know, Pittman, Pittman's touchdown, uh, to me, that and that and the fourth down where, where Cristobal decided to go for it at the, at Oregon's own 30 yard line where Cyrus Habibi Likio picked up about six yards on a fourth and, and short. Those were the two plays to me. I guess those are both fourth down conversions. Those two fourth down plays offensively to me, I think is a good place to start because I don't know if Oregon wins this game if they don't. A, go for both of those, B, convert both of those, and then obviously in the case of Pittman, score that touchdown. Um, those were huge momentum shifters, and I think Oregon deserves a lot of credit because at times Cristobal has been stubborn, and that was a word he used, but not specifically about fourth down situations. I was more like about the run game early in the game, but stubborn, sometimes conservative. But we saw when the game was on the line, they trusted They rolled the dice. Exactly, and I think Cristobal trusted his guys, and I think that's the type of thing you like to see and I'm sure the players felt that uh, that trust from the coaching staff because you don't go for it on fourth and short on your own side of the field in the second half uh, unless you're really confident in what you can do and, and credit both to the coaches for trusting and then the players for, for coming away with the play on those cru- crucial fourth down spots. I think those were critical, critical plays and maybe season-defining kind of uh, situations. I think, and, and both those plays came on the same drive too. Yeah, We also have to remember that, that uh, – and that's the game, that's the drive that put Oregon 31-21. They were down by 10 with going into the fourth quarter. Uh, and I, I, I think those are two important plays and it's an, it's a very critical drive. But I think what saved this football game was Oregon comes out and plays the worst half of football defensively that they've played all year. And you think at halftime, they're not going to play like that again. Like, they won't play that bad. They'll buckle down. They'll figure things out. And then the third quarter starts with Washington getting the football. And Jacob Beeson completes a pass to Terrell Bynum for 13 yards, first down at the Washington 39. Salvan Ahmed runs for 20 yards on the next play to the Washington, to the Oregon 41. Ahmed then runs again for eight yards to the 33. And then on the, I think what on the fifth play of the uh, fourth play, excuse me, fourth play. Yeah, it was four, four plays. Fourth drive. play of the drive, uh, Jacob Beeson hits Puka Nakua 33 yards for a touchdown, and it was boom, boom, boom in a minute 39, four plays, 74 yards, touchdown. All of a sudden, Oregon's mm-hmm. now down two scores, and it, at that point, I think I went into halftime thinking they were going to win this football game. At that point, it was oh boy, they. They had an opportunity to make adjustments. They made adjustments, and it didn't work, and it got even worse. And all of a sudden now this Oregon team is down by two scores. All the momentum is on Washington's side. Oregon's offense up until this point has been very sporadic in the first half, and they come out, and they put together 
a, 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 a drive that I think was, you, you said season defining. I think this was season saving for, for Oregon because 10 plays, 79 yards, four and a half minutes off the clock. And this was a, this was a drive that basically fell on the shoulders in the legs of Oregon's run game. Travis died first play, seven yards. And then Herbert completed the jump pass to, to Webb for 19. And then all of a sudden, it, it went back to the run game. Die, nine yards. Die, seven yards. Die, one yard. Herbert completed a pass to Cyrus for a loss of one. Uh, on third and ten, he completed a, a big pass to Micah Pittman for 12 yards to the Washington 25. And then it was all Cyrus. Cyrus up the gut for three yards. Cyrus up the gut for eight yards. Then Cyrus up the gut again for 14 yards and the touchdown. Uh, and, and that, I think that was, let's get back to what Oregon football is. We're okay and build this confidence back up. And that was the start, I think, where Washington's defense wore down because Oregon went back to the run game. Things got figured out. You look at their next drive, the one that you, you just described. I mean, they had Cyrus run hard again for four yards. He had another one for eight yards. He had a run for 15 <clears throat> yards. Uh, and then obviously the screen pass to die for seven and then the Pittman touchdown for 36. But then you look in the fourth quarter, things got figured out offensively. I think, and Oregon really, Oregon really flexed their muscle because they, they went back to what was always been their MO. And I said this before the game, it, they would, Herbert would set them up to win, but it would be the run game that would be the thing that, that was the difference and win the football game. And in the fourth quarter, when Oregon scored their drives, it was because Oregon was able to run the football. I mean, they they won the game on a pass, but what set them up was Travis Dye, 21 yards, Cyrus, you know, another nine-yard run, another five-yard run, another five-yard run, and then on the next play, the the, the five-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Red. It, it, Oregon Oregon won this game from both their passing game and their run game, but I think the difference was Oregon just wore down this Washington defense that's look they've never given up this many points at home since 2016 and Oregon just wore them down I mean they they literally just in the second half said we're gonna it was basically what we saw Auburn do to Oregon in the second half but the roles were reversed that's a good comparison that last one that, that's kind of what it felt like I think if if you were watching the game of just like Oregon I, I hate using like outwilled or, you know, I, you know, or had more will or something like that. I think that's unfair because that sort of supposes Washington wasn't trying or something like that. But Oregon certainly, as the game wore on and you saw it in the second half, every time almost Oregon ran the football, um, especially when Cyrus was carrying the football, we should say Travis Dye had some huge runs too, but yeah. it just, it just felt like it was either a first down or a, or a run to set up a first down every time they handed the ball off. And I don't think you can give enough credit both to both to Cyrus Sabibiliku, who came in and played probably the best half of football by an Oregon running back all season. I know uh, C.J. Verdell ran for 170 yards against Colorado, and and that deserves credit. But that was hard nosed, difficult runs for Cyrus for a, a, an entire second half, and frankly, that was more of a workload than he's had his entire career. And for yes. him to come out with the way he did. And, and play the way he did and, and break tackles too. I mean, like for as much credit as we deserve to get the offensive line for some huge holes, like he had to make guys miss. He jumped over guys. He, his touchdown run, he kind of also had to sort of jump over a, a Washington or jump cut a, a Washington defender. He ran through guys. He was just, 
he ran very, very inspired. And I think that to me was one of the big takeaways of the game is that Oregon's run game was, was awesome, but it wasn't necessarily what we, it wasn't successful for why we expected it would be, I think, to a certain extent, because it was a running back that we didn't really like, honestly, I remember what, we're after the Stanford game, we were trying to figure out like, what's the solution for this running game, right? I don't think Cyrus Habibulikio was someone we mentioned, mentioned hardly at all. Like he was a total afterthought at that point. And for him yep. to be the savior uh, in this game and, and really during the last three games, he has six rushing touchdowns and he's got, I think he's it's a, five rushing touchdowns the last three games. You're right. Three, three and then one, one, but I think he set a career high with 37 yards rushing against Cal and then a career high with 47 against Colorado and then a new career high with 81. So, you know, every single game, it seems like he's, you know, setting the new kind of, uh, watermark for his for his rushing skills I mean, like I think you have to be really impressed with what he provided and you're right I do think the, the run game set up the passing game and, and just the combination of it Marcus Arroyo deserves a ton of credit for mixing up the play calling for for finding what was working and, and I think Marcus or Mario Cristobal really gave him some credit after the game for being kind of the one that sort of talked Mario out of maybe some stubbornness in terms of what they were trying to do offensively in the first half but you have to be really impressed in the second half. They needed to score basically every time they had the football. They did. They scored t- touchdown drives on three out of four. They had one punt on a, on a drive that didn't kind of go their way. But other than that, they were almost flawless in the second half. And to me, that's why they won this football game, as well as, as the defense kind of you know finally stiffening up at the end of the game when it, knew, when it mattered, mattered most. Yeah, you also have to give the credit to the, to the defense because that was a game in which for the first – Two and a half quarters, they did not play well at all. I no. mean, it, it was they Washington got the drive with their first their first drive, and they went five plays, twelve yards punt, and then it went thirteen plays, fifty two yards touchdown, four plays, seventy three yards touchdown. Then they had a four play seven drive punt, three play seven yard, uh, three play one yard punt, and then. Eight plays, 75 yard touchdown, four plays, 74 yard touchdown, 10 plays, 53 yards, field goal. But then in the fi- their final three drives, I, I, even the field goal, even the field goal drive was big because they were, they were moving the football. And then once they got into the red zone, things bottled up. Oregon hurt, held firm and, and, and held them to a field goal, which was the difference in the football game. Uh, but then their last three, they were good. Three plays, one yard. Three plays, six yards, both punts, and then the last game ended with eight plays, forty yards, and they they just ran out of, of downs. They couldn't get a first down, and the Ducks took over the football uh, at the with fifty four seconds left. And you have you know Oregon doesn't win this football game if if the defense doesn't figure things out. But this was a game in which we've we've talked about it all year long that hey the defense is going to ride the you know ride the group and. The, the offense just has to score 21 points and, and they're going to win the football game. Well, the, the defense reminded everybody that they're human and that they're going to have bad days and that collectively they're going to have bad days. And the offense was there to pick them up and carry the, the, the load until Washington, until Oregon's defense could figure things out and kind of adapt. And then once they were both on sync and playing at a high level together, they won the football game. Do you feel like – They've been so dominant for five straight games, right? No, no, one touchdown in five games. I think 25 total points in five games. Was this a fluke? Was this just a better offense they faced? Like, how do you, what do you take away from the defensive performance? Because, like, you just statistically, this is by far their worst game of the season. They're heading into a stretch here where they now play Washington State next, and that's a great offense. USC the, after, the following week, and that's another 
really explosive offense, especially in the passing game. And the run game is getting better at USC if you look at kind of what they've done the last couple of weeks. Like, are, are you concerned about the Oregon defense? Or are you kind of – does this feel like a one-off, or where are you at right now with this kind I, of this group? I look at it as it's a one-off in this instance. Um, but, look, we said going in to Colorado that this is where we would learn a lot about this group. Right. And and they played really well against a Colorado team. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that, you know, LaVisca Chenault was not what he normally is. Katie Nixon was not what he normally is. And they had some other injuries along the offensive side of the football that impacted that game. That's certainly how Oregon moved the ball up and down and, and kind of influenced some of the play calling that Colorado could do. But this was going to be another big test. So we kind of knew that, you know, there was going to be talent here. Uh, I, am I surprised they scored 30, 31 points? Yes. I mean, I thought they would score 13. Um, right. and maybe that's me being a little overzealous, uh, of the defense. And I did, I did say like, I think privately with, with us when we turned in our picks, like I instantly regretted the 13 and, and thought maybe I should have bumped it up to 17, but I even still wasn't even close to, to what Oregon, uh, allowed. But I, I think, I think this is more of, of a one-off. Now, if we see, you know, similar things come against Washington State where they have big explosion plays. They don't make the tackles. They don't have, you know, they struggle on fourth down. They struggle on third down getting off the field and what, and whatnot. You know, then yeah, you start getting concerned. I think in two weeks at USC, that's going to be a road game against a team that's got three NFL receivers, good offensive line, solid quarterback play. If they give up 31 in that game, that, that's going to be okay, I think. I mean, it's not ideal. Uh, but I, but I think it's, it's not anything to concern about. So I, I look at it as this is a one year, this is a one game runoff. If, if Washington, if the same issues pop up this week against Washington State, then you start wondering what, what's wrong? How can they fix this? Is it going to become a big deal? I, I think the thing that maybe to me feels slightly concerning, and I, I agree, I think mostly with your sentiment of like, Let's, they've been so dominant the previous five games. They're allowed to have a let-up game, especially on the road against a rival that has a future first-round quarterback, some really talented guys on the offensive line. I think Salvin Ahmed ran, and that's the best running back Oregon's faced all season, I think. Yep. Um, and so, you, but I think you do have to have some concerns because, and maybe this is just the talent you're facing, but Oregon in the secondary had been so, so good. All season, Oregon in the past rush had been so, so good all season, and yet Eason had seven completions all game, threw for three touchdowns, had a QB rating that was like twice as good as Oregon's opposing uh, quarterback rating for the season had been. They only got a sack on Eason late in the game. Um, I just thought the thing we knew we, we thought we could rely upon all year was just when the opposing, opposing team had to throw the football, Like I, I felt like Oregon was in really good shape just because they were either – getting the quarterback and making it difficult, or, or when the quarterback did have time, the defensive backs covered so well. But I, this game, like, I don't know, I, I came away a little bit, maybe just like confused about how easy it was for Washington to move the ball down the field. And, and maybe that's just a credit to Washington and, and to Easton. I know, I mean, some of the throws Easton made were just awesome. I mean, he had a couple back shoulder throws, I think one to Hunter Bryant on, I think the second touchdown drive that was just like, or the third touchdown drive, the, the two-minute drill they had. Uh, to, to go up seven at the end of the first half, that was just like, man, that's an NFL throw. And I thought Javon Holland was in great positioning, and it was just like a, a tip-your-cap kind of play. But there were a handful of other times where it just looked like the guys were a little bit out of position or, or a step slow. So I, I think you definitely have to come away a little concerned about some of the things. But I, I agree generally. I think 
this group is still very, very talented, and they deserve a lot of credit for, for that final quarter because with their backs against the wall, when they weren't playing very good football, they, they figured out a way to get it done. And, and Oregon, again, Oregon doesn't win this game if the offense doesn't make the plays, and the Oregon doesn't win this game if the defense doesn't make the plays in the fourth quarter. It was even, even to a certain level in terms of just both sides had to make plays, and they both did. We, we talked a little bit about this earlier with, with the run game, but do we have, uh, I don't want, controversy isn't the right word, but do we have a competition brewing now? Maybe that's the right word. Maybe it has been, and we're just seeing it play out, but mm-hmm. seeing how Cyrus B. Lakio has ran the football the last couple of weeks, um, and, and seeing how some of the other running backs have performed. I'm wondering if maybe Cyrus is a guy, maybe, maybe he doesn't start, but maybe he need, maybe it's been proven now Oregon has to find a definitive role and a regular role for him outside of the 10 yard line. I mean, Verdell has looked good the last, I think three, three games. Um, 10 yeah, carries, 46 yards against California, but then he got knocked out in the first quarter and, and, and didn't come back. He also had two catches for 17 yards in that game. And then last two weeks ago against Colorado, he had a really good game, 14 carries, 171 yards. Now, granted, 70 of that came on one run. He had two catches for eight yards. And then against Washington in the first half, he he ran well. He had 11 carries for 48 yards. Uh, he, had, he had two catches for 12. Uh, I think Herbert missed him on a potential touchdown pass. Yeah. Uh, on a release that maybe would have at least gone for 40 yards. Uh, and, and that doesn't happen, but then he got hurt again and he never came back and played in the second half. And so he's, he's putting up solid numbers, but he's battling injuries. And whether that's fair or not, that's just the reality of things, where things are. And I think Cyrus, Cyrus did some stuff against Washington that we haven't seen all year. I mean, the, the, the plant and cut and go. Uh, you know, making, seeing the vision, knowing when to cut back. Um, Cyrus, Cyrus did a lot in, in that Washington game. And, and football is a team sport. You, you can't win, um, football games on one or two guys alone, but one or two guys could be the difference in a win or a loss. And I think Cyrus is running in that game against Washington was a huge component of why Oregon came back and won the football game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And I think there definitely needs to be, I don't know, it's going to be very interesting to see how, how they utilize these three guys. And I, one thing I think we should start off with is I think durability with CJ Verdell has to be a bit of a concern. And, and it, I found it, remember, it was interesting in spring and fall how little they, you know, like how little they repped him. They, they didn't really utilize him much in practice. You would watch a practice and he oftentimes wouldn't really take part in some of the drills. And it was kind of like, that's sort of interesting. I think it's just because there, there's an awareness that you have to minimize the number of hits he gets because for whatever reason he's he gets injured somewhat frequently or he has a nagging injury. Maybe he's just dealing with some nagging stuff, but he's missed the second half of two of the last three games, um, and that's something that if you're asking for a workhorse running back, you, you just really can't continue to have, especially in the way this offense operates and how how physical some of the running is and. And frankly, he's, he's a little, he's a smaller guy. I mean, he's, he's very well built, but he's only five foot eight and he's asked to, to carry a, a really heavy workload. So I think that, that has to be a concern. But I also think like Cyrus and Travis Dye, who I thought 
he ran really, really hard. That was maybe one of his best running performances of, of his career, too. I, I know, obviously, he's had some much better statistical games, but when they needed big runs, he had those for Oregon. But I, I think Cyrus deserves an opportunity to, to carry a bigger load. And maybe it is a thing of, like, look, we're going to have Verdell carry the workload in the first half, kind of tire out the, the, the defense. In the second half, Cyrus is going to come out and just finish the job. And that's kind of what happened, I think, is, is Cyrus, did, I, don't think, I don't think he had a single first-half carry. And then he came in the second half, and he just pounded the rock 14 times, 81 yards, a touchdown, and Washington just really didn't have an answer for him. So I don't know I don't know if it's a rotation thing or if you just go with the hot hand, which is clearly what they do. And that's what that's what Mario's answer after the game was. What, 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 you know, is kind of what was the decision-making? It was, well, we want the hot hand. And he was right. Those two guys ran the ball really, really effectively. It would have been silly to take the hand, you know, the ball out of those guys' hands and, and go somewhere else, I think. But I do think you're going to have to incorporate Habib Elikio, I think, more into the offense. And I don't know if that's as a starter. I don't know if that's as your second half running back to just wear it down or if it's just drive-by-drive, drive, you kind of just rotate. But you, you've got to find a way to utilize him because I agree. We saw stuff from him running the football that we just have not seen previously. And it was inspired running. It was a certain physicality. It was, frankly, a lot more – he's a lot more agile than I think either of us gave him credit for. Yes. I think we talked about in previous podcasts of, like, you know, he's good downhill, but like, man, if you get him in space, he, you know, he's kind of limited. I, I would, I was surprised with some of the tackles he broke in terms of just his change of direction. His, I mean, the hurdle play, I didn't think that he had that in him at all. I felt like that was, that was a total shock that he could get up in the air like that and, and just leap over a guy. So he's, I think, becoming clearly an important part of this offense. And I agree. I, you've, I think you got to find a way to get 10, 15 touches to him. And who knows? Maybe, maybe he's a guy that, in a game where you really want to just pound the rock, that you give him the ball 25 times because he's a bigger guy and just let him go to work. I don't know what the solution is. I just know three straight games Oregon has has looked at, at, at Cyrus and said, hey, it's your time, It's your, you know, your number's being called, and all three times he's come through and, and scored the touchdowns they've needed and in his last game really paced, paced the run game down the stretch. And, and you love seeing that, and I just think his role needs to continue to either stay, stay what it is or, or expand going down the stretch of the season. You also mentioned Travis Dye. I think we have to acknowledge that he's actually having uh, a pretty good three-game run. You eliminate the two fumbles that he had uh, right. three weeks ago against Colorado, against California, and you look at these numbers, and it's pretty staggering of what he's being able to do. He's averaging 7.1 yards uh, per carry over the last three games. He's had three straight games of over at least 50, 50 yards. He had 81, 54, and 51. That's combined for 186 yards. He hasn't, he hasn't had a touchdown, but, but Verdet, but I think Die has, has, has provided something that was missing, uh, as a change of back pace running back, uh, the last three games over the course of the previous four before that. And uh, I mean, you have to acknowledge that yeah, he had the bad game against California with the two fumbles, but since then, He's been steady Eddie and you're, you're getting really good production from him as kind of that change of, of pace running back. Cause Verdell and Cyrus seem like kind of your physical bruiser downhill type of a guy. And then die is your, you know, your jitterbug, your, 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 your scat back type of, of, of running back. And he's probably going to, you know, die will probably hear that and say, well, I can run over guys and he's shown that, but that's, you know, that's kind of what his, his game is, is the speed element. And he's, he's done really well the last three weeks, uh, outside of the two fumbles. And 
He he's starting. I mean, he, he he's had 186 yards, and and a chunk of that is uh, it's more than half of what he's done this season. And he's had you know good good runs in that. I mean, that 21 yarder in the in the fourth quarter at critical Washington yeah. was huge. Yeah, that was a critical critical run. I, I, that that was that run set up the go ahead touchdown. I think that get gets forgotten a little bit because it was. So much of Hibibiliki in the second half, but that run was maybe the biggest run or close to definitely in the discussion for the biggest runs in that second half and, and was absolutely critical. And honestly, the footwork he had in the open field was, was really impressive. And, and you're right. And, and Oregon now has a good situation where they have three, I think they've got three very talented running backs. They also have Felix, who I think it's safe to say is not really in the conversation right now with these other guys that, you know, that was something we wondered a, a while back. And I think that's pretty definitive. He's, he barely played. I don't think he has a touch. Um, in, in conference play. So I think you can pretty safely say they've got three guys they're focusing on. And it's just going to be interesting to see how they mix and match and utilize these guys. It, it might be matchup related. Maybe they see a defense playing a certain way and they go, okay, this is where CJ is going to really be valuable. Or, or they look at a different, a different front and they go, this is really going to be a Cyrus game. But I don't know what it is. I just think you have to be really happy just with the variety of guys you have and, and the skill set that they have. And just the fact that all three of them have kind of shown that that when they, when their number is called that they're available and ready and that they kind of answered the call and and I think there was a lot of questions about this run game and I think they were rightfully so but I think they've figured some stuff out and you go into these next couple games against Washington State and, and USC and I don't want to say those are like awful defenses but they're near the bottom of the conference against the run Washington State is tenth USC is eleventh uh, these are games where Oregon should be able to run the ball effectively and I expect that they will. Um, and I think you're going to see a variety of these guys. In fact, Oregon's last group of teams that they play, only Arizona State's in the top half of the conference against the run. You know, uh, Arizona's eighth, Oregon State is last at 12th. So they play four of the eight worst, sorry, four of the, of the bottom five run defenses down the stretch here. Uh, it's an opportunity for these guys to really have some big numbers and some big games. Right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prime. Eric Scopel is with me. 
talking about revi- revisiting this Washington Oregon game, which Oregon comes out victorious 35-31. And Eric, I think going into this game, it was being billed as kind of like how can Oregon's offense match up against UW's elite defense? Their you know, their great coaching staff, which is a defensive coordinator led by Jimmy Lake, and you know what what's this going to mean for Cristobal? What's this going to mean for Marcus Arroyo? What's this going to mean for Justin Herbert? And I walk away feeling like this is a signature moment for all three of those guys and also for, more importantly, for this program because they had the win last year against Washington at home, uh, but they had already kind of choked away a Stanford game in a really, really bad loss. Um, and just the way that game played out, multiple reasons. And you could argue, well, what about Auburn this year? You know, yeah. but... Oregon didn't have the lead like they had against uh, like they had against Stanford last year, uh, in, in that game against Auburn, and that was the first game of the season against a much better opponent um, in, in in Auburn this year, and, and they never really were up, you know, in blowout conditions like they were against Stanford. But Oregon goes into Washington, and look, this team hasn't won big road games in a long time. You know, it, it the, on the road they just don't play well, and. That's always been a concern, and yet Oregon goes in, and I think, like I said earlier in the show, most wins since, or most points out of Washington Huskies, uh, home game allowed by them since 2016, 35 points. And I go back and just look at some of, the, you know, some of the big games over the years. You know, Oregon had a, a, a win at Stanford in 2015 when the, the, the Cardinal were seventh in the country. They won 38-36. Uh, but I might go back even further to 2014 and when Oregon went to Utah, who was 20th in the country at the time and, and they won 51 27. Um, those two are probably the biggest road wins since this Washington game. And I think it's a defining game of, Hey, Oregon's back into the echelon of competing for conference championships because now that game uh, this past weekend at Washington almost secured the Pac-12 North for them. It was a reminder that they are still a top dog in the conference, and it kept their playoff hopes alive. Quite, you know, they're still alive in that regard. I mean, I don't think it's highly likely, but they are in the discussion, and they're probably more in discussion now than they were a week ago um, because of that win. And so, I, I think this was a huge win for multiple levels. Uh, most importantly, though, for this Oregon program, because we've we've always kind of had that like. Yeah, I think they're going to be good, or I think they are good, but I just got to see them on the road against a really good team and pull out the game that good teams are supposed to do, and they did that. I mean, from a road perspective, we didn't have a lot of answers going into this game about if they'd fix those road woes, right? Because they beat Oregon State at the end of last year, and that was a game where Oregon was just so much better. And they beat Stanford, and we've talked about that. That wasn't a particularly difficult environment to play in. So this one... You know, it was that was a raucous environment. That was a fun, fun football game. We should, I'm not sure if we said that enough, but super fun game. The, the the atmosphere was awesome. I mean, Washington. You know, that that was a rivalry. It felt like a rivalry game. Washington fans showed out, and it was packed stadium. They were loud. They were engaged in the game. You know, they were they wanted that game really, really badly. You could you could feel it. You know, there was a sense of probably desperation considering that you know if they had you know obviously Washington did lose and then lost three games in the conference. The fans didn't want that to happen. And so 
this was a huge game from a road perspective, and you're right. It probably is the biggest road win in four or five years. I don't think there's any question about that. It's hard-pressed to find anything in the last couple of years, certainly since Cristobal's been on staff either as a, an assistant or as a head coach. It's just their biggest road win, and probably just their biggest win in general. You know, This is a, a building block win. This is one you can build off. I mean, on the recruiting trail, you can now say Cristobal is 2-0 and against Chris Peterson. Washington yeah. Washington, you know, Washington hasn't been able, doesn't, hasn't, doesn't have an answer for, for all of the questions about Cristobal as an in-game coach or, or is he just a recruiter? He's not gone out in two consecutive years and beaten Washington, Oregon's bit, you know, bitter rival, bitter rival. And they've both been battles. They've both been battle games where they've had to, you know, fight through a ton. So a ton of credit, I think, to, to just everyone involved in, this is a game I think you can build off of. This is a game you, could, you should be able to build some confidence off of. Last year, and we should mention, last year Oregon beat Washington. They turned around and they, they laid a total egg against Washington State. This year, they beat Washington again, and they play Washington State again the next week. <laughs> so an opportunity to, to show that this year is not like last year, where last year they maybe didn't deal with the success very well. Now is an opportunity to do that. And I think, frankly, beating Washington in Seattle showed that they're, they're able to deal with the success at, at, at a higher level or at a different way than they've been previously. Just because, like, look, like, there was, there had to have been some concern about like, could they hang, could, you know, could they handle the moment? Could they handle being favorites in the Pac-12? That's not something they've been for a long time. Right. And that's what they're going to be done in the back, in the back half of the schedule. They're the favorites. I mean, they've got the conference basically locked up. They're going to be, I think there was a stat that ESPN says they're going to be favored in all five games down the stretch. I don't think 99% chance to win the Pac-12 North. Yeah. They're going to be playing as favorites now. They're, they're, they're playing with the, you know, with the target on their chest. And that hasn't been the way it's been in previous years. And, uh, and that's because of how they've played, and they've earned that right to be that team, and now they have to go out and, and earn the right to continue to be that team down the stretch of the season. And realistically, like I, I look at it and go, like I wasn't necessarily like super confident they could run the table when they started conference play. I look at it now and go, I think we're gonna. I think in the next two weeks we'll see if they can do it. If they can get by Washington State and USC, I think the way the schedule sets up, games with Arizona, Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State to finish. They win these next two games. There's a very, very good chance they're going to end up nine and zero in Pac-12 play, and that's an accomplishment that not a lot of teams can share since the conference has expanded. I think it's like two teams. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is a special season, and that was a special game. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about that for a second. In that moving, I mean, Oregon's kind of had their target on their back this year at the beginning of the year, but now it's literally like they have. Of their remaining games left, they have to play Washington State this week, USC, Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State. They've got five games left, right? And they have to – all five of those games, those opponents are going to look at their opportunity and say, we can ruin Oregon's season. Yeah. We can go out and they're playing for the Pac-12 North – you know, Washington State, it's hey, let's let's beat Oregon for a fifth time in a row. Let's go out and do that. Win on their home field. It's homecoming for the for Oregon. Uh, let's not, you know, they're gonna walk into this game thinking they've got the Pac-12 North wrapped up. Let's remind them that they don't. They still have to win out, and now it gets a little bit harder. USC, they have the talent. They're obviously playing to keep their head coach alive. They're they're playing for their own division championship and whatnot. But it it would literally be like let's. You know, Oregon just lost at Washington State, uh, or they beat Washington State. We can, we can knock them out of the playoff discussion with the victory here. 
And the same thing can happen for Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State. And that those teams, even if they go into Arizona and they've got the conference division wrapped up, or they go against Arizona State, or they go against Oregon State, those teams, they know, hey, Oregon's going to be in the discussion for the college football playoff. But if they they lose one more game, we eliminate that. And they're going to have a target on their back. And, you know, the play, they have to go to USC. They have to go to Arizona State. You know, they're going to have some fans, you know, being really raucous at them and whatnot. And it's going to be interesting to see how this team performs with now 100% square on them that they are the team to, to win the Pac-12 North. They, everything falls on them. They do their job. They win the North. It's mathematically, that's how it mathematically plays out. You know, they need to win two more games. Uh, and after that point, Oregon has the, the, the Pac-12 North wrapped up, and everyone else is going to try and prevent that. How does this team respond? I think that's a legitimate question. Absolutely. And actually, just one update here. I, I said that there had been a couple teams that had gone 9-0 and since the Pac-12 had expanded. That's not accurate. Nobody's gone, nobody's gone unscathed in Pac-12 play since they expanded in 2011. The last team to go 9-0 and in the Pac-10 was Oregon in 2010, the year they went 12-0 and to start the season. That was 2010. And only one other team has done that uh, since 2000, and that was USC. Actually, USC did it twice in back-to-back years in 2004 and 05. So if, they, if Oregon was to win out and win the, you know, and go 9-0 and in Pac-12 play, you legitimately – and then we're now jumping way ahead here, and maybe this is unfair to even go down this line of thinking, but – if they nope, do we're that, not part of the team. Let's do it. All right, we'll do it. If they do that, you can legitimately start talking about where does this team rank among teams in the Pac-12 since expansion? Are they the best team since that time period? Probably not, considering Oregon had a team that ended up playing in a national championship game. But they certainly are going to become a team, with if, if they hold that distinction, that will be looked back and thought of in that same light because it's just been difficult to do. Um, in terms of 8-1 and one teams since they've expanded, there have only been, let me count this here, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There have been nine teams since they've expanded that have gone eight and one. So it's, it's hard to do that even. So there's an opportunity for this program to do something kind of special this year if they're able to finish this up and, and become the first team again since 2010. Uh, one team this decade has done it. And it was Oregon in 2010. Uh, and, and I don't know if we thought looking at this season, I think, we thought they would drop a conference game. I know both of us picked uh, one conference game that they would lose. I pick. I think I actually picked two, but that would be a heck of an accomplishment for this program. And obviously, a ton, a ton left to do to, do to actually get there. But you look at the remaining schedule; they're going to be favoring all these games. There's a shot they can do it. All right, let's let's look at real quick off script here. Um, you mentioned no team since the Pac-12 has started, no team since Oregon in 2010 went undefeated uh, in conference play. If there's going to be a loss on this schedule and only one loss, what's the most likely or just what's the most likely loss in your mind out of the last five games? Washington State this weekend at home at USC November 2nd, 5 p.m. kickoff. We should note that 5 p.m. kickoff on Fox, another primetime game Uh, at home November 16th against Arizona, November 23rd on the road at number 24, Arizona State or uh, a game against Number 30, Oregon State at home in the Civil War. Before the season, I had Oregon losing twice in conference. I had them losing in Seattle to Washington. Washington. Got that I did not. Wrong. You got that one? Yeah, Matt had that one preseason, correct? <laughs> I, I, to, to my own credit, I did change the pick 
before this week, I picked. I did pick Oregon uh, yes. this week yes, to win the did. game. But yes, before the I mean, season, I had them. Yeah, I'll take the. And I'll take that credit. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> before the season, I had them losing twice in Pac-12 play uh, at Washington and at USC. I'm, I'm going to stick with that that game against the Trojans being the most challenging or the most likely slip-up game. You know, and I and I would hedge my bet and say this weekend against Washington State, it, it's just. There's something that there's just been difficulty in that matchup. Obviously, the last four four times they played, Washington State has won. It's kind of a potential slip up game, especially after the big win last weekend with USC looming the next weekend. But I'll stick with USC just because I think from a talent perspective, that is undoubtedly the best team remaining on the schedule. Um, the way USC succeeds offensively, throwing the football down in the field, I think that has the possibility to challenge Oregon, even though, like we've said, Oregon's secondary I think is really, really, really good. Um, I, I just think that style of play potentially, because I, I think it's harder against this Oregon defense, it's hard to like grind out 70-yard drives. I know, I know Washington had a handful of those, but that's not the way. I think it's a hard way to beat Oregon's defense. I think the way that you try to beat Oregon's defense is kind of what Washington did on that 48-yard touchdown pass to, I think it was Jordan Chin. Uh, in, in the first half, and USC has the athletes. They have whoever's at quarterback um, has the arm strength to do it, and I just think that's a game where Oregon's going to be tested down the field, and I still think that's that's the one to look out for. I don't know if I have Oregon losing that game yet. I'll, I'll see what the next week's holds here, but that's the game I would look at as, as maybe the most likely slip-up game. I'm with you. I, I think uh, if Oregon's going to drop a football game at this point, I think it's going to be at USC – um, they have NFL talent at the receiver positions. They've got a good offensive line. Uh, it's a road game. Um, it, it, for me, it would between it would be between Arizona State and USC. And I'm picking USC because they've got the better skill talent. Even though that they could be playing a true freshman at quarterback, just like Arizona State is playing uh, a freshman at quarterback. I I like USC's skill guys around their backup quarterback that's playing more than I like Arizona State's talent around Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is a terrific player, but I think he we learned a little bit about ASU's offense up against an elite defense this past weekend when they played Utah. Uh and they did not they, the Arizona State offense did not play well in that football game at all. Uh and and they lost that game twenty one to three. I mean it, it was not a good showing for, for the Arizona State Sun Devils in that football game. And so I, I think even though they've got a good defense, uh, and I think, you know, their offense eventually down the road, meaning more so next year and the year before after that, they're going to be pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm going with AS, uh, USC. I, I just think road opportunity, the big time playmakers that they have, it's going to be a, an opportunity where that could be a situation where a loss could happen. I don't think it will happen. I, I have Oregon winning that football game. I actually predicted ASU to beat Oregon at the beginning of the year as their one loss. But I, I think uh, I think the USC game is going to be the toughest test remaining for, for Oregon on the schedule. Uh, and I, I'll put you on the spot before we wrap this up, Eric. I, I'm going to yeah. say it. I think they, I think they go 9-0. I don't think they lose the rest of the way. Uh, do you, do you side on that yet, or are you still thinking that there's going to be one more loss? I'm really close. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. I think the USC game is still going to be really challenging. Um, two more thoughts I just had on the USC Arizona State thing. I think USC is going to be obviously highly motivated. They still have a shot 
to win the Pac-12 South. Remember, they have the tiebreaker with Utah, and they both have the same number of losses, um, I believe, right now in the Pac-12. So that that's going to be a game that they're going to really want. And then Arizona State, uh, Jaden Daniels was 4 for 18 for 25 yards and an interception in that game. I think that really sort of changed. Well, yeah, that's that's like an all-time bad passing stat line. That kind of changed my perspective a little bit. I know that Utah defense is awesome. Frankly, Utah and, and Oregon's defenses are pretty comparable statistically. Utah actually moved ahead of Oregon in, in a handful of statistics, as you would expect after you, you hold the team to three points. But I've kind of soured a little bit on that offense just because I think Oregon defensively is going to be able to do some things. If, if Utah can hold them to, to that kind of thing, Oregon and Ken can at least hold them somewhat in check. I'm not expecting a rep, you know them to totally replicate that outcome, but I, I have to think Oregon's defense is licking their chops after looking at that stat line in particular. All right, that's going to do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thanks for listening once again. And again, remind you, if you're not a subscriber, you can go on to duckterritory.com before Monday night at 9 p.m. Pacific time and get three months for the price of one, three months for the price of one. Unreal deal gets you all of the rest of the regular season as Oregon football pushes their way towards a Pac-12 North championship and would be playing in a one-game playoff to get to the Rose Bowl. Maybe even uh, if they win out, maybe they're in the playoff discussion, and you'll be able to follow that journey all the way through. Uh, you'll also get to get on for Oregon men and women's basketball, which starts in a couple weeks. Both teams are preseason favorites to win the Pac-12 North. So uh, subscribing to DuckTerritory.com with that promotion is an unreal deal. It gets you basically everything you need. Uh, from an Oregon football, Oregon basketball perspective. So go check that out. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.